Good morning, everyone. Is everything good? Okay. Well, it's, it's great to be here. Um, I hope you, I'm sure you do, but I'm telling you, you can probably not appreciate your pastor enough. He is one of the best guys that I know. I know lots and lots of students, and I'll remember many of them, not all, um, some for the wrong reasons. Um, and you know who I'm talking about. But uh, your pastor is just top-notch, right? I mean, I, he's got such a great reputation among all of his colleagues, his student colleagues, among faculty. It's really remarkable. And it's great to be here. I'm really happy to be here. It's great to be in a place where I'm told the sermons are an hour and a half. So, <laughs> right? I mean, it's unusual, Right? This is the first thing he said. He said, just preach for like an hour and a half. I said, okay, no problem. Um, actually, when I was, uh, this summer I was in Malaysia, and I was speaking at a week-long conference or sort of two different things. And uh, the first thing they asked me was, how long do you usually preach? And I said, I don't know, however long it takes, I guess. Whatever they say, you know, whatever people say. I said, you know, 30, 40 minutes maybe. And they said, oh, right, we should have told you. The sermon today is supposed to be two hours. Well, I mean, I talk for a living, so <laughs> it wasn't actually a problem. Um, I just kept on going, right? So anyway, our text today is um, from James chapter 2. I hear you're going through a series in Romans, right? So you've probably heard something about justification by faith. If you haven't, you will. Uh, and we're going to turn to the only chapter in the Bible where justification by faith alone is stated explicitly, right? It's the only place, there's only one place in the Bible where you have the actual phrase, justified by faith alone, is in James 2, where James says, guess what? You see that a man is justified by his works and not by faith alone, right, which is... Uh, caused a lot of people to sort of shy away from James. You know, if we, if we think about, this is typically what happens, if we think about the, uh, say, the apostles, right, or the, the writers of the New Testament, anyway, we kind of put James on, like, the JV team, right? He's like Paul's water boy at best, right? So we go to Paul, we love Paul, we read Paul all the time, we go to James when we sort of have to, uh, and we sort of hope we can ch uh, skip over chapter two, or just go to chapter 2 and talk all day long about what James is not saying, right? Or how James actually really does agree with Paul, which he really, really does. But I don't think we should go to James and, number one, treat him like the JV team. In, in heaven, there's going to be a whole line of people who have to stand. I don't know. It's going to, we have eternity, so it can take a long time. And they're going to walk up to James and really basically anybody but Paul and sort of apologize for the things they said about him on earth, right? And James will be up there. and People will run to say Paul, see Paul, and they're like, you can't talk to me, you got to go apologize to James first, right? So that's, that's and mostly it'll be preachers, so anyway. <laughs> for everything they've ever said about the apostles, right, they'll just stand there before the apostles and apologize for, it'll be a glorified apology and edifying, especially edifying for people who get to watch it. But whatever the case, <laughs> I just, it dawned on me that I hadn't sent a, t sent a title, so we're going to go with this, and that is 
James 2, you are what you do. Or, I just came up with this one, just standing right over there. It rhymes. It's what you do that shows what you say is true. It's what you do that shows what you say is true. So let's, uh, let's read these verses together. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. I'll read down to verse 26. And then what we'll do is we'll just sort of go bit by bit by bit through it. So verse 14, James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, I'm just going to jump in here real quick. You need to kind of underline that word, that, right? Just paying attention to and underlining the word, that, will clear up 80% of the problems that we tend to have with this text. 80%. I just made that up. I don't know, maybe 70%. But still, that's the real key here. That faith. Can that faith save him? James doesn't say, can faith save him? But can that sort of faith save him? Then he gives an example. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food... And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you, uh, I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says... Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works, is dead. It's often said that the doctrine of justification by faith is the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. That is, without justification by faith, we don't exist. Not truly. Now, real quick, what is justification? I just want to put this on the table. Justification, when you hear the word justification, it's basically this. Justification is what God says or declares. Like, think about a judge. Think about a judge handing down a verdict or a ruling. Justification is God saying that apart from your works, either in the past or in the present or in the future, apart from anything that you do, you stand before him in a right relationship with him, fully acceptable, forgiven and fully acceptable before him, 
by faith in Jesus alone. It's God's, it's God's saying, justification is this, it's God's saying, you are in the right in my eyes. It's standing before God, guiltless, and as one who has in every way done everything that is pleasing to him by faith in Jesus alone. That's just sort of a, this is what justification means, right? And so, as I said before, though, one of the problems is, is that even though we, we use this phrase, justification by faith alone, all the time, in fact, I've seen quite a number of tattoos, believe it or not. Sometimes it's in Latin by people who don't actually speak Latin. Uh, and it'll say, seriously, I mean, I mean, I, yeah, anyway, that's, I'm just sort of crowd I run with, right? It's people who use Latin phrases who know no Latin otherwise. And, and so I've seen tattoos, right? And I don't, I'm not trying to, I don't know what you think about tattoos. I'm just saying, I've seen them. Right? And occasionally I've been asked to proofread them. Somebody will, hear, somebody will say, hey, I hear you teach Greek. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I was on a plane, and this, this kid heard from one of my students that I teach Greek. He said, hey, what, what do you think of this? And I read it, and honestly, it, was, it didn't make any sense. And I said, man, that guy really did a good job on that tattoo. Right? Unfortunately for this guy, it was nonsense, but whatever the case. All right, well, that's, that's enough of that. So we come to James, and we know Paul, and we come and think, what in the world does James mean? He can't possibly mean what he's saying, right? That's, that's kind of what we think. There is no way that James can mean what he's saying. Otherwise, James and Paul are sort of having an argument. But here's what I, here's what I, here's what I have to say. James and Paul are looking at the same sort of life, that is Abraham, and they're looking at Abraham, and they're standing in two different places looking at the life of Abraham. James is standing up, as it, you, know, you know the story in Genesis 22, where uh, Abraham and Isaac go up on the mountain, and Abraham is told to sacrifice Isaac. James is standing there, and he's looking back, looking back over Abraham's life, and he basically says this, you see, what God says is true. Here's your, here's your proof. What God says is true. And Paul, on the other hand, is standing with Abraham out in the, out in the desert one night, it's in Genesis 15, and Paul is looking sort of forward and saying, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, which James quotes too. He says that he quotes the same thing, Genesis 15, 6, they both quote it, and Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And James is saying, and you know the thing with Isaac, you know what that shows, you know what that proves? It proves that God tells the truth. That's what it proves. And sort of that's a little bit of background just as we get into this, uh, as we get into this text. Now, before I, there's, I'm going to say three things, right, three points, but before I do, I want to give you sort of three keys that I think are important, in, in fact, extremely important for understanding this text. Number one is this, these are not the points, but sort of three keys to this text is you have to remember that James and Paul are not writing to the same people. They're writing to different people in different times for different reasons. 
And James is writing, before Paul writes anything, this James has already written. He's one of the earliest writers of the New Testament. And so James is writing to some, probably to some Jewish believers who are in trouble. They're probably poor. Uh, they probably live inside of, uh, inside of Israel. And he's writing to them. He's writing to them to encourage them. They've had quite a few problems. They're under some persecution from some, or at least uh, having problems with some rich people. And they're having trouble sort of ordering things in their church. But James is not writing to people who think that they are sort of saved by their own works. Later, Paul is going to write to people like in Galatia, uh, and he's going to say, and he's going to, he's going to be pressing them and pressing them and pressing them to say, no, you are justified by faith alone, not your works. So they're not writing to the same people, and they're not writing for the same reasons. And that goes a long way of explaining why they say, why they're talking about different things. Right? So they, they write for different reasons and to different people. The second thing is this, is that of all the biblical writers, of all the New Testament writers, James, probably more than any, anyone else, is more firmly sort of, not grounded in, but shows that his background is in biblical wisdom. Now, biblical wisdom is simply this. You know, you think of Proverbs. Biblical wisdom is simply this. It is knowing what to do and doing it. Right? That's what biblical wisdom is. It's not just knowing a lot of things. In fact, according to the book of Proverbs, if you, it's the person who sort of knows what to do and doesn't do it who is the what? What does Proverbs say? The fool, right? Like James says here, you foolish person, do you want to be shown what I'm talking about? And so James is fully rooted in this biblical tradition, tradition that we call wisdom that is all about knowing what to do, not how much you know, but knowing what to do and then doing it. Or, on the other hand, knowing what you shouldn't do and not doing it. And so that's what James is all about. And I can show you, verse 22 of chapter 1, he just says this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Really, if you just read that before you read chapter 2, you're in good shape. That is what he's saying. It is, not, it is not just those who hear and then walk away unchanged. It is those who hear and do. Now, in saying this, he sounds a lot like a famous preacher who lived not long before James and who knew James pretty well, who said this in a famous sermon, a tree is known by its fruits. And then at the end of this sermon, this famous preacher said, let me tell you what, whoever follows my teaching is like the man who built a house on a rock. And when the storm came, the house stood. But the one who hears my words but doesn't do them is what? Like the man who builds a house on the sand and the, and the storm comes and washes it away. Right? And of course, everybody knows who I'm talking about. James' brother, otherwise known as Jesus. And so what James is saying 
just matches perfectly with what Jesus has already said. But I have yet to hear somebody say, I've got a real problem with Jesus, and this tree is known by its fruit stuff. I thought I was justified by faith, right? And so we've got to make Jesus agree with Paul. But really, James is not saying anything different than what Jesus says. It's the same sort of emphasis. And by the way, that same emphasis is all over Paul, okay? So that's, and then the third thing is this. The third thing is this, and I've already pointed out, and that is verse 14, to understand and just understand, you already understand it. Just simply read the word that, that faith. Because really what James is talking about here, the issue with James is not so much justification. The issue with James is this, what is the true nature of faith? What is biblical faith? That's really the issue here. And so what James is saying, what James is saying, those three things I think are really important. Let's just start here, verses 14 to 17. I've already read it once, um, but he just starts and says, what good is it? You say you have faith, but you don't have any works. Can that faith save him? And of course, the answer is what? No. No. That sort of faith, James doesn't say, can faith save this person? No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, can that faith, what kind of faith? The someone who, it's the faith of someone who says they claim to have faith, but they don't have any works that show it. And James just simply says, that's not faith. And then he's not done that. Then he gives an example, right? He gives this example, so somebody comes, they have a practical need, they're poorly clothed, lacking in food. One of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So he's just a simple example, right? Somebody comes, they have an actual need. Instead of fulfilling that need, you just sort of give them a blessing. I just made the sign of the cross. I don't know why. I, mean, I don't even do that, right? <laughs> I don't know why. It just came to me just now. I hope that doesn't reveal anything about me, but whatever the case. Well, you may as well do that, right? Because if somebody comes to you, they have an actual need that you could fill, but instead of filling it, you just say, well, blessings, God be with you, let's pray. Well, I'm, I'm all about blessing people, and I'm all about praying, but if somebody has a need, and we just simply speed them on their way with a good word, what good is that? What have we done? How have we shown the gospel? How have we shown the love of Jesus if we just simply give somebody a good word when they have a need that we could meet. And so James is basically saying, so what, what did you do for them? You did nothing. So it's a, James gives an illustration. That's what he's doing here. And then he says, right, so also faith by itself. And remember, faith by itself, you have to remember what kind of faith? That faith. He's not saying, like, faith, biblical faith, the faith that Paul talks about, justification by faith. When he says faith by itself, faith can't be by itself, not actual biblical faith. There is no such thing. So you have to remember, it might help you to, uh, might help you to think of faith here in sort of, in, I just did air quotes. I'm going to regret that all the rest of the day, but I'm going to see it through. Just think of faith, right? Can faith by itself save? No, it can't. You know why? Because it's not faith. It's just words. And now he's going he's gonna to make that even stronger now. Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. 
show me your faith apart from your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. And then verse 19. If, you don't, if you're not already convinced that James is talking about, it's really not even false faith, it's just no faith, it's in the next one, next verse, verse 19. When James says, you believe that God is one, you know what he's, re- now remember he's writing to these Jewish Christians, and he's citing something that they would be really, really familiar with from the book of Deuteronomy, and that is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. It's the most famous and most basic confession in all of Judaism, Deuteronomy 6. I mean, otherwise, why would he ask him this question? You believe that God is one. So he's just saying, you make the right confession, you say the right things, great. You believe that there's one God, great, you should. You say the right things, you, do the, you, you say the right things, you make the right claims, great. But you have to remember this, if you stop at that, you have risen to what? The level of the demons. Because they know that. Now, James isn't saying that what you know is unimportant. James isn't saying that you know, what you confess is unimportant. What he's saying is, if it's just that then how is that different than the demons? I'll give you an example that you already know. In the Gospels, just take the Gospel of Mark, just for instance. In the Gospel of Mark, one of the questions, Mark's sort of question, it it could be called the Gospel of Mark, colon, who is this? Because that's the big question in the Gospel of Mark. Who is this who preaches with such power and authority? Even the demons obey him. Who is this that calms the storm? Who are you? That's the big question in Mark. And, you know, sometimes the disciples get it, but of course Jesus does all kinds of things beyond what they could even imagine. There is one group in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospels generally who always knows who Jesus is. Without fail, they always know exactly who they're dealing with. Every single time, 100% of the time, if it was just a test, who is this? There's one group that would get it, they would get an A every single time. And who is that? What do we have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I know who you are. The demons. Now, that, they don't get it right like in a, in a saving way, but I think it's a good illustration, right? You can know all about Jesus all day long. You can know all about God all day long. You can and maybe even know more about God than the person sitting beside you. But if it's just things you know and things you say, but it is not accompanied by true, personal, saving faith in Jesus, then it is really no more, is no better than what the demons can do. It's not faith, right? It's not faith. It's not, it's not false faith. It's not sort of deficient faith. It's just simply not faith at all. And that's what James is trying to, that's what James is trying to get, get across to them. And so faith without works is dead. So that's the first thing. Faith without works is dead. And just remember, can that faith, can that sort of faith, which is not faith, save someone? Never. 
Never. So later, keep that in mind, later when James says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What faith? That faith, the faith that he's been talking about all along. Right? So he just keeps saying, if you just think about it, you think about that over and over and over again, that faith, the faith, of the, de- the faith that demons have, which isn't actually faith, the faith that says it has faith but has no works, that faith cannot justify. Right? It's just, he's just saying the same thing sort of over and over and over again um, each time. Then he gives the, the illustration that I think probably causes the most problem, and that is of all the people he could choose, of all the people he could choose from the Old Testament, he chooses Paul's go-to guy to prove what? That you're justified by faith alone. Two times, three times, Paul cites Genesis 15.6. He cites it twice in Romans 4, that is, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, that is, he was justified by faith. Twice in Romans 4 and once in Galatians 3. He's his go-to guy. When Paul wants to prove, hey, you know what? My doctrine of justification by faith, I'm not just making this up. I'll show you. Look at Abraham. And he quotes the same thing that James quotes. And this is really just part, I mean, this is this, and then what James says coming up are sort of the two problems we always have. But let's look at what James has to say about Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, faith was active, right? If you just read verse 21, yeah, I mean, it's sort of a problem. But if you go in and and read verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And then verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Now, I don't want to I'm not going to read the whole story of Genesis 22, but let's, let's think about it just for a moment. Think about Abraham, just real briefly. In Genesis 11, Abraham, we get a genealogy, right? Genealogies are those things that either, number one, speed up your daily Bible reading plan, <laughs> right? And you can cover a lot of ground at the beginning, the beginning of, uh, say, First Chronicles, right? Like, I've got this in the bag, I got all week done just today. And so, it's either that, or the second and more important thing is this. Most of the genealogies in the Bible are not just there to challenge you, sort of, how do you pronounce all these names, or to show you that God keeps his word. That's what they do, right? That's what they do. That, that, I'm going to say every single one of them, but the, the main genealogies are, to, genealogies are to show that God made this promise, and look, you have a whole string, generation, 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 generation of people who show that this is true. That's what those things do, right? Just think about the ones in the Gospels, right? They do. Or think about the ones in, uh, in, in First Chronicles or, or the ones in Numbers, right? It that, that shows by the time they came out of Egypt, they are a great nation, and that's why you have these long, long lists, because it says, hey, look, God kept his promise to Abraham. At the end of Genesis 11, there's a, a really short genealogy that ends like this. And Sarah, that is the, Sarai was her name then, the wife of Abraham was barren. She could have no children. The end. If you were reading the Bible for your first time ever and you came to that, you'd think, you wouldn't even give a second thought. I'm done with that guy. Whatever else there is to say about Abram, he's finished. Because his wife can't have children. It comes to a 
comes to a dead stop. And then you turn the chap, turn the page, or just keep reading, and all of a sudden it's to this very person that God appears. Who is Abraham? He's just some guy who worships idols, who lives in what we probably now call Iraq. That's his claim to fame. How did Abraham, was Abraham out doing a whole bunch of great stuff? Was God looked down and said, you know, that guy has really shown me some things. I can, now, the Abraham, there's a guy I can work with. No. Who's Abraham? He's a guy who lives in the desert that God calls. Now, do we know from reading the Bible he's in the line of Shem and all those this kind of things? Of course we do. But it's not because Abraham was something special. God comes and says, leave your home, the home of your forefathers, and go to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and through you all the nations on the earth will be blessed. Now remember, he's got a wife who doesn't have who can't have children, and Abraham himself is past his sell-by date, right? I mean, seriously, I mean, he is 75 years old, right? 75, and his wife, so it's like, you know, it's two strikes and you're out, right? So he's not able, she's not able, you're going to be a great nation. And then 25 years pass, I'm going to speed up now, 25 years go by, still no promise. And Abraham's thinking, well, I guess I got this guy called Eliezer. He lives in my household. I guess he'll get all my stuff. And God shows up and says, no way, not Eliezer, but a son, your own son. And God promises him again in Genesis 15, through you all, he takes up the promise again and says, count the stars if you can. So will your offspring be. You who now are getting around 100 your wife, as far as we know, still can't have children. Your, na- your offspring are going to be more than the nations. I mean, sorry, sorry, greater than the stars. And then he has a son. And then several years later, God comes and says, take your son. Now, this should ring a bell. Your only son whom you love. Right? Why does that ring a bell? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God comes and says to Abraham, you know that son that you've waited for all these years, that you persevered and waited for all these years, 25, more than 25 years since receiving the promise, now that you're 100, I want you to take him up on this mountain, and I'm going to show you what I want you to do. And then Abraham goes. Now, when we read that story, we should be moved by that story to feel the burden that must have been on Abraham that day, right? We, we, should. we should. We should think about what it must have been like, and we shouldn't look at Abraham as like some kind of superman who's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you want me? Yeah, sure. Sacrifice my son. That makes total sense. Let's go do it, right? In fact, I'm not, I'll just leave early. I'll just, I'm, I'm already done. I'm, I'm already there, right? So we, we sort of treat these biblical characters like they're some kind of superman, right? But Abraham was a person just like you, and he went out, and that was his son. And God points out, your son, your only son, whom you love. And I promise you that Abraham didn't just think, okay, that makes, that, that makes sense to me. Sure. This is what I've looked forward to now for over 30 years. Just this moment. Now, the scripture does say, though, that what Abraham did It doesn't really talk about Abraham's sort of state of mind. It says that Abraham got up, and he went up the hill. He went to the mountain. He saddled up, 
went up the hill, told the servants to wait, and he said, we will return, but you wait here. And he gets up to the top, and just as he's getting ready to do the thing that God, the unbelievable thing that God is commanding him to do, an angel of the Lord, God speaks to the angel of the Lord and says, stop, because now I know you fear God. Now, was that God really thinking, you know, I had some questions about Abraham. I just didn't know, and so I figured I'm just going to put him through this test, and then now, now, now I believe. No. What Genesis 22 is saying, showing is this. What God said about Abraham in chapter 15 when it says, Abraham believed God and was credited to his righteousness, right? Because that's the Abraham didn't hear that. You hear that when you read it because Moses wrote it down. What Genesis 22 is saying is this. God wasn't speaking nonsense back there when he said, Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. God speaks the truth. Genesis 22 proved, showed to the world that Abraham was justified by faith. But it was his obedience, the fruit of his faith, or his works that showed it. And that's, I think, what James is doing, and that's why he uses the example of Abraham. So let's look finally at this issue of living faith, right? So we have sort of dead faith, Abraham's faith, and living faith. And you'll find this in verse 24 and following. You see, still talking about Abraham here, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now remember, not by what faith alone? That faith alone. The faith that says, I believe, but doesn't show it. The faith that demons can muster up. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It doesn't exist. So here's what James is doing. In school, did you ever dissect anything? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe you do it now as a hobby. I have no idea. But did you ever, did you ever dissect a frog? or any, I can vaguely remember dissecting a frog or being told to and probably just cutting it up or whatever. Um, or did you ever see one of those anatomy books? Or you go online and, and each, each click, it sort of puts another layer. Like it starts with the skeleton, and then you get kind of the whatever's next, the sinews or whatever. And then, uh, I'm not that sort of doctor, right? I'm just winging it up here. I, have, I got no idea, really. And so it's just layer upon layer upon layer until you get the skin, right? It sort of dissects the human body, takes it apart. That's not what James is doing. James isn't looking at sort of salvation in terms of its sort of pieces, right? Like justification, sanctification, glorification, those kind of things. James is looking at the Christian life as one whole complete thing. That includes what you claim, what you confess, what you say, and what you do as one big thing. Not as separate things, not as things that can be sort of taken apart and stand alone. Now, now that doesn't mean that James can, James can distinguish between those two things, right? It's not as though he would say faith and works are the same thing. He's just saying you can't take them apart. 
you can talk about them. You can talk about justifying faith. You can talk about obedience and works, but you have to remember that you cannot pull them apart as though you can have one without the other in your actual Christian life. And that's what James is getting after. And I think that's the thing that we have to really be taking serious here is it's, it's really easy to confess the right thing. It's really easy. In fact, it's really easy to be kind of really supercharged and amped up about the doctrine of justification by faith. Right? By faith alone, through Jesus alone, by grace alone, Scripture alone, glory of God alone. It's really easy and good to be really excited about those things, but if we're only amped up about making the right confession and checking to make sure everybody else has the right confession, but we don't have the evidence of grace in our life. We don't have the evidence of being people who understand they are justified by faith apart from their works by the mercy of God only. If that doesn't show up in our lives, what James is saying is you should be careful. You shouldn't just presume because you know the right things and you say the right things and on the outside you make all the right claims and everything looks great. You need to be careful because the Christian life is not just in words. Is it words? Yeah, it's confessing Jesus as Lord openly and publicly. Absolutely it is. But is that the whole Christian life? No, it isn't. And that's what James is, I think what James is wanting his people and wanting us to see is that the Christian life is one big thing. There used to be, still exists, among a whole group of people who talked about justification by faith more than sort of any other generation about 400 years ago or so, 500 years, more than any other generation of people who talked about justification by faith, about 500 years ago, they came up with this phrase that says this, we are justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone. We are justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone. And they, there was this illustration. It's a great illustration. Um, if you see an apple tree, right, what do you see if, if it's in season? This is just an illustration. It doesn't work for everything. You see the apples, right? Now, what are the apples really proof of? The apples are really proof that deep under the ground, not that deep, but under the ground where you can't see anything, there is a whole sort of, you know, a whole system of healthy roots, without which there would be no apples. And you can think of faith and works in that way. Works are obedience is all you can see of faith. Otherwise, because you can't see faith. Right? You can't see someone's faith. All you can see is the evidence of it, that is, the fruit. And I think this is, again, a tree is known by its fruits. Not just in sort of the apple. No, sorry, not just, not just in sort of bits and pieces, but a tree is known by its fruit. You have fruit, it's a good tree. Now, it's just an illustration, right? And you, you could say, well, what about if it's not in season? Well, what about if it's... What about if it's not mature yet? What if it's, you know, what if it's a blight? And so it's none of those things matter. All, none of that matters. What James, it's just, it's just a simple illustration that a tree is known by its fruit. Now, there's an immediate danger that we have to avoid. Because the one thing that James is not doing here is he is not saying to people, you know what you need to do? 
you need to go home tonight and turn the light off at night and lay down and do an inventory about whether you had enough fruit today that you can count up and show that you're a Christian. That is not what he's doing. He doesn't want his people to get, he doesn't want his people to turn into a whole bunch of people who every day sort of go around checking for fruit constantly. He's just simply saying this. If you claim to know Jesus, if you confess Jesus as Lord, if you believe that you stand before God, not on the basis of anything that you've done or doing or will do, and that God accepts you in Jesus alone, that will look like something in your actual life. And not only will, but must. But not in such a way as you think, oh, I better get on the stick. Better churn some fruit up. James, isn't sort of, James here isn't talking about you better get on the stick and kind of start producing some fruit. I'm going to jump on you. God's going to jump you. What he's doing is, is he remind, he's reminding them that the, the Christian life is a whole thing. Right? The Christian life is not just today while we're gathered here in this place. It's tomorrow. It's no less tomorrow than it is today. And tomorrow, Monday, you should look like you do in this room right now in terms of the way you treat people, in terms of the things you say, in terms of the, the things that you do, in terms of what it's, you know, everything, you know, everything looks pretty good in here. And we should be the same people on Monday as we are today. It's just, I mean, that's a really simple way of applying this text. And that's, but you know, that's when it's hard, right? That's when it's hard. Is because all of a sudden, tomorrow you're going to be faced with all kinds of things that are going to cause you to doubt that, you know, this, maybe the Christian life is all it's cracked up to be. Because that's what the world does. That's what the stuff around us does. It says, really? In the face of the suffering, in the face of the news, in the face of this, that, or the other thing? And what the Bible comes and says is what? It's faith and not sight. And it's true biblical faith that will show itself in the midst of a world that would say to you, are you serious? Are you serious with this faith in Jesus? Are you serious about this Christian life? What you, really? But in the midst of that, it shows itself to be true. Not just by saying things, but by doing them. By being a complete person. That's really what it's all about. Just like Jesus, James wants his people to be complete people. Not just hearers, but doers. Not just people who hear Jesus' words and, and acknowledge them, but people who hear the teaching of Jesus and do them. Not because they just sort of churn it up, but because it flows from a heart of faith. We are justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone. And I think that's what James wants his people to say. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, Maybe you've been here a lot. Maybe you've been here many times. You're like, well, here they go again. It's almost lunch. You're probably not the only person thinking that, by the way, but whatever the case. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, James is not saying if you just do the right things, Jesus will take you in. What James is doing is, what, what James is, doing is he's saying, you know what? The true Christian life is not just in words, 
It's in what we do. It's, it's everything together. So the Bible is calling you, if you do not know Jesus, the Bible is calling you to a whole life, a complete life, a complete life that is not sort of here's one way today, here's another way tomorrow, here's how I feel now, here's how I feel later. It's a complete life that God intended for you from the beginning. That is believing in Jesus and flows, and from that flows out works that show that we believe and love Jesus. That's what James is really getting at. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that we won't just be people who talk and say the right things about you, that as we talk and say the right things about you, we will show that we really believe those things, we'll show those things to be true by the way we treat one another, by the way we love one another, the way we accept one another, the way we help one another, and the way we love all those around us, so that the full light of the gospel and the, cha- and the saving work and changing work of Jesus will be given all of its light and not hidden by the way we say things and then do other things. In Christ's name, amen.